it's not just the pandemic that keeps people inside, it's poor air quality. Multiple studies have shown that air pollution is associated with an increased risk of death from COVID-19. And just like we need a unified national response to COVID-19, we desperately need a unified national response to the climate crisis, because there is a climate crisis. Hello and welcome to Insider Insights, 100 Days of Biden, a podcast from Buchanan, Ingersoll and Rooney. I'm your host today, Kim Pitsengrilli, co-chair of our firm's energy industry team and the chair of our government relations practice group here in Pennsylvania. Today, I'm fortunate to welcome to the podcast someone who has spent more than two decades on Capitol Hill, my colleague and a principal in Buchanan's federal government relations practice in Washington, D.C., Ed Hild. Before joining Buchanan, Ed spent time as Chief of Staff for Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and as Legislative Assistant, Legislative Director, and Deputy Chief of Staff for former Senator Pete Domenci of New Mexico. In our government relations work, Ed and I have developed a deep expertise in the energy space, including helping navigate and shape energy policy for our clients at both the state and federal level. Ed, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be uh, joining you today. Great. Now, when it comes to the White House's approach to energy, there's a stark difference between President Biden and former President Trump. In his very first days in office, President Biden immediately worked to undo a handful of energy policies and agreements that his predecessor made. Ed, let's start off with a broad question. What are the biggest differences in approach to energy policy between President Biden and former President Trump? Well, I really think it's it's what um, President Biden is focusing on versus what former President Trump focused on. And the difference is, is fairly stark. President Biden is promoting renewable energy, whereas former President Trump promoted uh, oil and gas production. As the Democrats tend to push more strongly for renewable energy, have you been surprised at steps the Biden administration has already taken on a few positions that you might not expect relating to pipelines? Absolutely. There's one in particular that was surprising, uh, particularly in light of all of the statements that President Biden made uh, during the campaign. And one of his first acts was to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline. Interestingly enough, though, there is a case pending before the U.S. Supreme Court that involves the Natural Gas Act and and permitting of um, natural gas pipelines and the rights of eminent domain so that the pipeline can be built. Uh, Former President Trump's administration took the position of supporting the pipeline company's uh, appeal to the Supreme Court. And it would have been natural based upon some of President Biden's statements, the Keystone XL pipeline, etc., to take the opposite position. But instead, President Biden has continued the position of President Trump and supporting the position of the uh, natural gas pipeline company. Let's shift to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission now. Uh, Richard Glick was nominated to the FERC by President Trump in 2017 and confirmed by the, the Senate November of that same year. Earlier this year, on January 21st, Chairman Glick was named by President Biden to head up the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. What are some of the priorities as head of FERC, and how will that help shape the energy industry? 
Chairman Glick has been uh, fairly clear on his priorities in his public statements. Uh, he has said that transmission reform is a key issue for him, um, reassessing the capacity markets, and also lowering uh, the barriers for clean energy in the, in the regulated markets, something that obviously FERC is at the forefront. And also something that's been a longtime passion for Chairman Glick has been when FERC is permitting um, natural gas facilities that FERC takes into account the impact of climate change. And that is evident from last month's FERC business meeting where they entered into a notice of uh, information to change the, the rules regarding how FERC permits natural gas facilities and update those rules to take into account climate change and other issues. Certainly the tragic situation in Texas took up a lot of headlines last month. Ed, what exactly happened there, and is there anything President Biden can do to prevent that in the future, or is that energy unreliability a state-specific issue? So there's two questions there, and, and they're both, again, really good questions. Why did it happen? And that's simply a fact that the energy infrastructure in, in Texas was not prepared for a winter storm of that magnitude. Therefore, when that winter storm came through, we, we have all seen the results of that, and, and they were not good. Obviously, Texas is a, is a little bit different in that Texas is state-regulated, and it's only Texas. They're, they're not part of an interstate transmission. So FERC does, at the federal level, have limited jurisdiction over changes in Texas. But the feds can always take action. The question is, should they take action? In this case, I think that since FERC is more limited, it would fall to Congress to decide if they want to put mandates in place uh, about what infrastructure must and must not do. And I think that becomes a much more complicated question and unlikely to happen anytime in, in the near future. It wouldn't be a discussion about energy without talking about the Green New Deal. Ed, we know that the bill as proposed will not pass this current Senate. But what does the future of this polarizing piece of legislation look like? The future can be um, described in three words. Senator Joe Manchin. The Green New Deal is a dream. It's not a deal. It's a dream. And that's fine. People should have dreams. In the perfect world, what they would like to see. I got to work with the realities and I got to work the practical. What I have in front of me. I got to make sure our country has affordable, dependable, reliable energy 24-7. But you can't just be a denier and say, well, I'm not going to use coal. I'm not going to use natural gas. I'm not going to use oil. And you have to understand also the climate. When we talk about global climate, it's the globe. It's not North American climate. It's not the United States climate. It's the globe. Senator Manchin has been fairly explicit that he does not believe mandates are the answer to achieving some of the climate goals that are out there. The House bill uh, in its current form would uh, entail a number of mandates and if you move away from mandates, it's going to become more bipartisan. And really, it puts Joe Manchin and some of the others in the Senate in the driver's seat to shape that policy. Well, let's move to that area then, speaking of Congress. Uh, Senators Joe Manchin and Senator Lisa Murkowski have tons of newfound power in the Capitol with an evenly split Senate. Both represent energy-rich states where jobs and natural gas are critical. How do you think these two senators will leverage this power in Washington? 
I think that they will, I don't think, I know that what they are going to do is they are going to put West Virginia and Alaska uh, first and, and foremost as they proceed with shaping that legislation. Uh, as an example, the former nominee for the Office of uh, Management and Budget that did withdraw was in talks with Senator Murkowski to see if Senator Murkowski wouldn't be able to support her nomination after Senator Manchin came out in opposition. And as part of those discussions, uh, Senator Murkowski was talking about, okay, what are some things that the administration might be able to do on the energy and natural resources front on a regulatory basis to soften some of the impact on Alaska? So I think that that is an example of how both of those senators, as I said, are going to approach this. They're going to look at the legislation and say, okay, do we need to create new provisions that are going to be targeted towards West Virginia and Alaska? Or do we shape these provisions um, so that they are more favorable to our respective states? If you're talking about West Virginia, obviously coal Despite where coal is these days, coal is still an extremely important part of of West Virginia. In that case, does Senator Manchin say, okay, while we're going to do carbon capture, carbon capture is going to have to be focused in West Virginia. If we're in a situation where he's the 50th vote to let um, Vice President uh, Harris break the tie, uh, I suspect that he will find success in obtaining the provisions that, that he wants on behalf of West Virginia. Finally, Ed, energy policy impacts more than just the energy industry itself. It touches on transportation, infrastructure, trade, and so much more. With a Democrat in the White House and a slim blue edge in Congress, are there any other industries to keep an extra close eye on in terms of how a new approach to energy policy may affect them? I think that the first part of the answer is all industries and sectors have the potential to be impacted. There's been a lot of discussion about, okay, we're going to do anywhere from a 2 to $4 trillion uh, green infrastructure package. That's a pretty large price tag. So the question becomes, how do you pay for it? Um, one of the early and often ideas that have been put out there that seems to be gaining traction, particularly within the Democratic caucus, is the corporate tax rate. Currently at 21%, and then raising that to 28% uh, to generate revenue to pay for part of that package. Obviously, raising the corporate tax rate would affect industries across the board. Um, more specifically, I think what it's going to come down to is the definition of what infrastructure is will be expanded. Uh, traditionally, when we talk infrastructure, we think of roads, airports, trains, dams, construction, um, those kind of things. But in this expanded definition of what infrastructure is, I think you're going to see the focus being on green and, and how do we green things. That could reach into uh, residential home construction, commercial construction for new buildings, uh, manufacturing. There's already been a, a big push at the Department of Energy to work on energy efficient uh, manufacturing. Just across the board, it's going to be, again, to circle back to the very first question, the biggest difference between this administration and the previous administration will be what they focus on. And that is going to be a green focus. Clearly, there's a lot to talk about here, Ed, and I think we've only scratched the surface. There will be plenty more to come in the energy industry over the next four years, that's for sure. Ed, I appreciate you joining me today and sharing just some of your insights. 
Remember to hear the latest from Buchanan Ingersoll and Rooney attorneys and government relations pros on what to expect under the Biden administration. Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen in. Until next time, I'm Kim Pitsengrilli with my colleague at Buchanan Ingersoll and Rooney, Ed Hild. Thanks for listening to Insider Insights, 100 Days of Biden.